to the election of office bearers within the congregation. Let's read again the verses relating to the elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Amen. don't have a picture. <laughs> well, we, uh, we might have seen on the, <laughs> on the wall uh, a picture of a uh, hydroelectric dam at Clooney, Loch Clooney. It might be familiar to uh, any of you uh, who take the, the road up the west coast. And it's not one of those sites that you'd particularly want to go to if you were uh, Will Graham over seeing his native uh, land as he kindly put it the other day, and we're taking in some of the, the top uh, spots, as it were. You go to Glencoe, and you went to Balmoral, as he went, and so on. But uh, coming along Loch Cluany is always special for me, because I know that around the far end of Loch Cluany, you come to a sign that says, Sky and Loch Arch District. And I know that although there's still over an hour to go, I'm nearly home, getting there. It's a very uh, impressive dam, though, uh, and it has the, the waters behind the dam drowned uh, some parts which had been formerly inhabited, and it goes up and down. Here we go. Uh, the dam goes up and down. At the moment, there's not a lot of water in it because it's been dry over the past couple of months. Uh, but no matter how much rainfall falls into the loch, and this is a very wet part of the world, uh, it's at the eastern end of Glen Shield, where it always seems to be raining when you travel through it. But no matter how much rain uh, God sends upon this particular part, the water behind the dam is only going to go as high as the dam itself. Pretty obvious, isn't it? And if we wanted to generate more electricity here, we're going to have to raise the height of the dam. The water will only go as high as the level of the dam itself. And there's a sense in which, uh, humanly speaking at least, uh, a church never exceeds the height of its leadership. But God is sovereign. And God is not limited uh, by human flaws and limitations. <clears throat> but God has condescended, has covenanted to work through his church and his gifted leadership to the church. And it's a solemn thought for those of us who are in leadership in the Church of Christ, in servant leadership, that we could become limiting factors in the growth of the church. That system failure in leadership 
can lead to this kind of bar on the growth of the Church of Christ. That's why, why when we come to uh, thinking of adding to office bearers within the church, when we're thinking of uh, bringing in new elders, new deacons, it's a solemn thought because God works through human channels, through ordinary vessels such as us. And spirit-filled leadership is the gift of the risen Jesus to his church. You may not think of uh, your elders and deacons as God's gift to you, but they are. They are God's gift to build up his church. Uh, speaking of the situation in the uh, apostolic church, Paul says that Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul, remember, is writing to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, and his concern is that he might be delayed, and in order that uh, the household of Christ might be ordered correctly, he wants Timothy to know uh, what is required uh, of elders and deacons, what qualifications are required of them, what their duties are. <coughs> when he writes to Titus in another of his letters, Titus is not in Ephesus, but he's in Crete, in the island of Crete. And Paul gives him instructions to go about appointing elders in each of the congregations on Crete. So this isn't a boring administrative subject to do with the kind of uh, detailed working of the church. This is part and parcel of what is to be a healthy church. A healthy church has biblical leadership. And which are the churches that grow? They are healthy churches. Churches uh, that grow are churches with biblical health. And God has gifted biblical leadership that we might be healthy churches. One or two comments on the role of elders and deacons. Uh, first of all, to say the obvious, there are only two offices that Jesus has given uh, to the church, and they are the office of elder and deacon. You see the two offices mentioned when Paul addresses the church in Philippi, Philippi, uh, letter to the Philippians, uh, chapter 1, Paul addresses uh, the elders and deacons at Philippi. We see in the early church in Jerusalem a division of labor between the apostles and the seven uh, who are prototype deacons, uh, who are there to administer the mercy work in the enlarging church at Jerusalem. There's a degree of overlap because the, the elders, for example, we take Paul's concern for the poor, Paul's concern to administer the gift that was going to people in Judea where there was a famine. Uh, we see that it wasn't only the, the deacons that did uh, mercy work. Uh, we also see uh, with the seven 
uh, gifted preachers like Philip and Stephen uh, preaching the word. Regarding elders themselves, uh, the subject for this morning, uh, there are always more than one elder in a congregation. So the Bible doesn't give room for uh, the growth of the personality cult, the one leader lording it over everybody else. There's a group of elders in uh, the oversight of a congregation. And there's no hierarchy. There's no uh, elder who is given uh, a territory over which to, uh, to rule. There are two words uh, which are used interchangeably in the New Testament uh, for overseer or elder. And these words are episkopos and presbyter. Now you can see immediately the, the forms of church government that we associate with them. Episcopos, we think of Episcopalian church or Anglican church, which is ruled by bishop and presbyter or Presbyterian church, which is our church government where we have rule by elder. And we firmly hold to the position that uh, elders are equal and that we simply make a distinction between those who are given to teach, teaching elders, and those who rule but whose primary task is not preaching. It's interesting that John Stott, the late John Stott, uh, who of course was an Anglican, and therefore an Episcopalian, and therefore in a church which had ruled by bishop, uh, admitted uh, in his commentary on 1 Timothy uh, this. He said, it's clear that it would be an anachronism to translate episcopos, bishop. Even if Timothy and Titus may be considered embryonic bishops in that they have to supervise a cluster of churches and appoint their pastors, yet they are not called bishops. The development of the monarchical, monarchical episcopate, <laughs> quite hard to say. In other words, a, a kind of hierarchy of, of, uh, kind of bishops ruling over uh, other lesser mortals within the church. Monarchical episcopate uh, cannot be dated earlier than Ignatius of Syria in Antioch around AD 110. So that's quite interesting, isn't it, from John Stott. Let's look then at the elder and what elders are called to do, the duties of elders. And it's interesting straight away to acknowledge that there's not a lot said about what elders do. There is far more said about what elders are to be. The character of an elder is far more important than his giftedness to do something. Now, we should really, I should give us pause, shouldn't it? Because negatively, it's a reminder that someone who has uh, deep-seated character flaws is capable of doing really bad stuff in the church can cause irreparable damage in the church. And therefore, the emphasis is on the elder being a man of character. <coughs> but in terms of what they do, uh, there's some insight from the words themselves. Uh, that, that word episcopus we just mentioned, uh, one of the words that's used for elder was taken from the Greek world. And it was used of somebody who was a municipal overseer, somebody who had an oversight in a town or city. Uh, and so they had the, the superintending work uh, in the community to carry out. And that's what an elder does. An elder 
is to look after, to superintend, to care, to protect those that he's called to serve. Presbyter has got a Jewish background, and I suppose the emphasis here is on the, the seniority and the, the rule of the presbyter. When Paul in Acts 4 addresses uh, rulers and elders, he's not speaking about two groups, he's speaking about one group. Elders were part of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling group amongst the Jews. Uh, in our passage in 1 Timothy 3, we see the duty of teaching mentioned in verse 2. The elder is to be able to teach, and the duty of caring and leading in verses 4 and 5 for the duty of caring for and leading in the church as compared to the role of caring and leading in the family. Family and church are comparable. What goes on in the family is a model, a prototype of what should happen in the church. When Paul addresses uh, those uh, elders in Ephesus that would be uh, ordained in Acts 20 verse 28, he speaks of the, the pastoral, the caring work that they're called to do. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So these are the duties of the elder. The elder uh, is to, to care for you. The elder is there to protect you, to protect you from false teaching creeping into the congregation. Uh, the elder is there uh, to teach so that when you're puzzled about what the minister is saying, you can go to an elder and you can say, what on earth was he on about yesterday? And he'll be apt to teach. He'll be able to teach. Uh, the elders are there to provide that care and oversight. The way these things are done aren't spelled out in 1 Timothy 3, so there's flexibility. We're not told that the elder has to have an elder district. We're not told that he has to visit everybody in the congregation X number of times a year. Uh, we're not told that the elder has to sit in a certain part of the church. Uh, he's simply to care and protect and to teach the flock. He's to be an under-shepherd. What's more important in this section is what Paul has to say about the qualifications, the character of the elder. I want to, to summarize uh, the points, I want to group them together, because there's a lot of them, a lot of uh, detail here. Uh, and first of all, to say that the elder is to be passionate about the work. Uh, the elder is to he's got to, to desire the work. Secondly, he has to show integrity and self-control. Uh, he has to have healthy relationships uh, with others, and <clears throat> he must be a mature Christian. And then fifthly, the elder should be able to teach. Uh, some people have pointed out that uh, a lot of what Paul has to say here actually occurs in secular descriptions of leaders in the first century and so on. And even today, uh, some of what Paul says could apply to somebody uh, outside a religious context, and uh, that's not surprising in some ways, although it has to be said that, that there, 
are specifically spiritual uh, emphases uh, in what Paul is saying here. But there is a degree of overlap. Uh, one, uh, one commentator, somebody who, who works in the, the realm of commercial leadership, said this about what made for uh, a good leader. This is a guy who works for the Dale Carnegie Training uh, Company. Uh, our research indicates that what really matters is that leaders are able to create enthusiasm, empower their people, instill confidence, and be inspiring to the people around them. That's interesting because I think that certainly ties in with the, the, the first point that uh, we have, is that, which is that the elder should be passionate about his work. And I take that from what Paul has to say about it being a good thing to desire the task of an overseer. It's a good thing, he says. It's a noble task. Notice it's a noble task, not a noble rank that he should desire. He's not to seek a badge, a status, a rank within the church, but he's to seek what is a noble task. Someone uh, might think, well, it seems a strange idea to, to want to be an elder. Uh, it's not something which other people tell you that you should be there. It's a call from God and the church. And uh, yes, that's true, but the two things shouldn't be incompatible. It's not uh, incompatible to say that uh, a man should see that this is a, a good work and that if God should call him to it, he would really want to do it. And then the church recognizes that here is some, a man who, who fits the bill, who has the, the, the character of an elder. And the Holy Spirit uh, directs the church as a whole to, to uh, elect that person to the office. But that's not incompatible with the desire for the office, to see it as a noble task, a job worth doing. So somebody who uh, hears the word elder and you think, oh, more meetings, he simply hasn't got it. He has not got an appreciation of the, the high calling of what it is to be an under-shepherd in the flock of Christ. That it's a great thing to be called to care for God's people, uh, to see them uh, safe within the fold of the church, protected from false teaching, to see them increasingly committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, to see them increasingly being built up and strengthened and dependable and active in service and in outreach. These are great things. It's a great calling. And the person who is fit to be an elder should be somebody who is enthusiastic to perform that noble task. And if you are enthused about the task, you will enthuse the people around you. You will be an inspiration to those around. You can't inspire people if you're not inspired yourself. It's a good thing to want the eldership because it's a noble task. It's a great work. Secondly, and there's a lot said about this, he should show self-control and integrity in his personal life. He is to be above reproach. Above reproach. There ought to be such authenticity to his life 
that the watching world finds no opportunity to point the finger at him. I thought it was great the way that uh, some of the, the, the folks on stage in, in Falkirk, when they were introducing uh, the preacher, made particular mention of the fact that he was no different uh, uh, backstage and with the guys than he was up front. That is a mark of the elder of Christ's church. came across an obituary of uh, the late Farther Rennick. Uh, Farther Rennick was an elder in the Loch Broom Free Church. Uh, he'd been an elder for 25 years. Uh, he was also a leading sheep farmer in the area, and he was one of the trustees of a large uh, Highland auction mart. When he died a few years ago, an obituary appeared in the Scotsman because he was, he was a national figure uh, in, in farming circles. And one of the most significant comments the writer made about Farther Rennick was this. Uprightness characterized his life, and it was well said that he was the same in church as in the mart. What a good comment to be made about an office bearer in Christ's church. He was above reproach. Key to living a life of integrity, a life that's above reproach, is self-control. Uh, the elder should be beyond reproach in regard to purity. Uh, he should be faithful to his wife. Uh, now, there's been a lot of debate about what is meant uh, by him being the husband of one wife, uh, as we uh, think have it here. The literal rendering is actually, he must be uh, a one-woman man. He must be a one-woman man. So the emphasis is not on the fact that he's married. The emphasis is not on the fact that he has not got many wives. Some people thought that it was actually ruling out polygamy uh, within the church. The emphasis, I think, is that uh, he is committed to being faithful to his wife if he's married, and to being pure if he's not married, so that he keeps himself for any wife that God uh, may have for him. And this area is a, an area of huge, enormous temptation, uh, not just for elders, but for, for all Christians, but especially uh, if in any way you're in the public light. Sexual temptation is a huge and powerful temptation. And the elder will recognize that he is a sinner, a sinner saved by grace. He will recognize that this is a powerful drive in, in all of us. And he will take measures to ensure that he doesn't place himself in positions of temptation. Temperate or sober-minded also indicates self-control. Ah, not you're dull. But simply, uh, a loudmouth, joking, colourful elder may draw attention to himself, uh, may be uh, someone who's very popular, but may also be someone that others find difficult to take seriously. If he's simply always wisecracking. His attitude to alcohol is also crucial. Uh, like sex, this is an area where uh, the devil uh, sees great opportunity. It's a, a, a powerful driver. 
Uh, if the Christian leader is not teetotal, he must be above reproach in the use of alcohol. He must never set a bad example. He must never allow his liberty to occasion temptation. He must have mastery over his temper. He must avoid getting into quarrels. And that holds uh, not least for uh, theological quarreling, you know, getting into a heated argument over points of doctrine. You know, people outside the church don't get that. And they hear that and they think, what on earth are these guys on about? What are they on? Why is this uh, creating so much uh, heat and aggro? We're to control our tempers. Self-control in relation to money is another key area. Uh, money, sex, drink. Three powerful uh, drivers, three areas where there have been notable falls amongst leadership, amongst leaders of the church. Love for money surfaces in all kinds of different ways. It can result in a, an anxiety over uh, not having enough money. Maybe that we actually love money to the extent that we're not willing to uh, kind of draw in our expenditure and live on less in order to get by when times are tight. Uh, and we fail to believe that God can provide all that we need. Might be seen in terms of prioritizing earning opportunities over service. And the Bible is very clear. You cannot serve both God and money. We have to trust the Lord for our material needs. So, self-control, integrity, mean that the elder will be above reproach. He must be in control of his own drives and appetites. During his term as president of the US, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson uh, got a bit overweight and his wife, uh, I'm sure she said it tactfully, said to him, uh, if you can't control yourself, how can you control the country? You can't rule your own weight, how can you rule the country? And he took the advice to heart, lost 23 pounds. Elders are to be people who are marked by self-control. That group of qualifications refers to relationships. This is a relational calling. Uh, an elder doesn't deal with robots or uh, machinery. Uh, he's dealing with people, with human beings, and he needs to be able to get on with people. It's a relational activity. So if you're difficult to get on with, censorious, grumpy, uh, or lax and indifferent, then you won't be able to carry out any elder's duties of caring and leading people. Uh, so he's to be respectable. That's an interesting uh, term, isn't it? Uh, we hear the word respectable and you know, we, we can probably react negatively to that. But this isn't the, uh, the chinos and blazer, middle class type, uh, understanding of respectability. What it means is that someone respects the elder because he's transparently someone of integrity and self-control. His life commands respect. An elder uh, whose integrity will reap the fruit of respect unless uh, there are flaws in his character, unless he's relationally challenged. Hospitality is a great gift for every Christian, and the elder is to be 
a leader in hospitality. He should have an open home. But the most important area in which the relational qualities of the elder are to be evidenced are in the home. The home is analogous to the church. The, the home is, if you like, a little church. And the, the Christian husband, father, is to rule the home. Uh, he's to show a lead in the home. And his ability to do that, to function as a leader in the home, indicates whether he's fit to be a leader in the church. So, guys, we're meant to take a lead in family worship and ensuring that uh, the scripture is read uh, at the dinner table uh, or the breakfast table with the family. Uh, we're to ensure that the Lord's Day is kept, that the family are in church regularly, uh, that we're involved uh, seriously in supporting the church and the mission of the church. Uh, that's our role, to take a lead, to step up to the plate, uh, to make sure that there is a lead given. And someone who has demonstrated that in the home, uh, whose children respect him, uh, who's able to discipline his children, uh, is someone who is fitted for leadership within the church. Paul's not saying that we're looking for uh, sergeant majors or uh, CEOs as elders. He's saying that we're looking for people that others would look at and say, he's a good husband, he's a good father, or wouldn't he be a good husband? Wouldn't he be a good father? Fourthly, uh, he is able to teach, able to teach. Now that doesn't mean that the elder uh, necessarily is going to be preaching regularly. I think the, the King James is apt to teach. So there's a certain aptitude to communicate the Bible. We make a distinction, as we, we uh, said earlier, between those uh, whose work is preaching the word and those who are what we call ruling elders. But it should be true of every elder that they know their way around the Bible, uh, that they are confident in handling the Bible. That's why the elder, for example, needs to have uh, given evidence that he's familiar with our confession of faith, uh, that that is his doctrine, that he holds to that and could communicate the doctrines of grace uh, to someone else. Uh, he is, to some extent, uh, to be able to impart sound teaching. And then finally, there should be spiritual maturity. Paul warns us against uh, electing someone rapidly to office within the church. Uh, a new Christian uh, shouldn't be fast-tracked to the office of elder or deacon. And the reason for that is that uh, we are all prone in different ways to the subtle temptation of pride. Spiritual pride. Uh, men should be allowed to express their gifts informally, to have years of testing uh, before being made elders or deacons. Paul says, do not be hasty with the laying on of hands. New Christian, uh, for example, uh, may have been converted from uh, a notorious life, uh, a life where uh, 
you know, his lifestyle was well known in the community. It's going to take some time for the community around to see that there has been a real change in that person's life, for him to establish the kind of credibility, the respect that an elder should have within the wider community. The devil's on the lookout for the slightest opportunity to trip up God's servant leaders and to besmirch the church. We really ought to pray uh, that all of our leaders, not just in our congregation here, but the the leaders of the church, the ministers and leaders of the church, uh, should be preserved from the devil's attacks. So what we're going to be doing in a week's time is not some hum-hole piece of church administration. This is a really important deal. This is Jesus' gift to Hope Church congregation. Elders and deacons uh, who will take a lead spiritually and in the direction of mercy, who are going to care for you, who are going to seek to protect us as a congregation from error, from the devil's trap. Prayerfully think about uh, next week. Prayerfully uh, uphold uh, the men whose names are on these ballot papers and pray God will raise the level uh, in Hope Church Coatbridge and that he will fill us uh, to the full with his blessing. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Let's close now singing uh, a hymn about the church. Uh, Old church, arise and put your, uh, your armour on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand against the devil's lies, an army bold whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness. O church, arise.
Son and Holy Spirit, rest upon you now and forevermore. Amen.